0: I'll be a better man today, I'll be good, I'll be good, and I'll love the world like I should, yeah, I'll be good,
1: I'll be good, for all of the time. Hi, and welcome to Living Room Therapy. Read Jacqueline and Paul are inside already awaiting your company. For this first episode, they like to introduce themselves, so when you swing by again, you won't be strangers. Okay, they're ready for you. Paul's just reminiscing about how they first met. Go on in, take a seat and relax. Oh, and pardon the mess.
2: Well, we met at City University as part of a Master's in Counseling Psychology program, and we were all pretty much new to City University as well as new to each other, and it was an exciting time in our lives of change. We we're all looking for something different.
1: What were you looking for, Paul?
2: Well, my psyche had withdrawn energy from working hundreds of hours at Microsoft, and uh, I became much more interested in psychology uh, than I was in, in numbers and metrics and, and finance and marketing, and so uh, in some ways I was looking uh, for new energy because my psyche had withdrawn the energy that had driven most of my career in corporate America and then was essentially refocusing it toward uh, learning psychology and I remember going to classroom uh, with people of all ages uh, people who are older than me people that were significantly younger than me and kind of feeling uh, just as a completely new topic from the business world into this world of psychology so I was excited and nervous and uh, energized all at at the same time about this new direction. At the same time, I was maintaining a a full-time job uh, and doing this essentially part-time in addition to being very busy working and raising a family. And I had just had a nervous
0: breakdown and my therapist advised me to follow the calling that I'd been ignoring since junior high and go be a therapist. So I found CDU and applied even though my grades were not adequate to get in. Uh, I wrote a good letter and got in and decided I wasn't going to be my introverted old self and that I was going to try and make friends uh, for the first time in in a college setting when I uh, came into the room you two were already there that first day and uh, you two were the loudest and so I thought well maybe I won't have to do so much talking if I hang out with them and uh, the rest is history
1: who was it that proposed uh, a road trip
0: yes now that's skipping way forward in the story that that Saturday that we met In October of 2007 uh, I found myself eating my lunch in my car and thought what what the hell I thought I was gonna try to make friends so uh, that that turned me around I got to know you two and anybody else who who, uh, seemed amenable and there were lots of messed up people among those 15 or so in our cohort including me obviously and uh, so, some allowed my sort of forward brashness, which is a, a recoil from my introversion. Right, I'm kind of an extremist. And uh, so, I got to know I got to know some, and I was familiar enough after that fir- th- that fall quarter to um, propose during the winter quarter that I wanted to do a spring break. I've never been on spring break before and i was thinking of a road trip and i don't know if i proposed a destination I, I doubt it but i just said who wants to hit the road with me and you two jumped right in
1: i remember being surprised that like the whole class didn't go i mean it because it was such a neat uh, idea and i just pictured us in the you know several caravans all all pulling together and it turned out it was the three of us yeah <laughs> and I think
0: several might have given us maybes, and then when it when it when it time when it came time to hit the road, it was just us, just in uh, my my Chevy Venture van, and that was okay. And I thought, well, this is going to be so great when people hear about it. They're, wanna, they're, they're going to want to go a year from now on the next spring break.
1: Well, we'll get to that in a second, but I want to share how you changed me, Reed. The experience of that first road trip, it sticks with me. I remember stopping just on the side of the road somewhere and there was a river and we sat there and uh, just spent some time hanging out. I grew up going on road trips with my parents and we would go from point A to point B and just quick rest stop. And then you're back in the car and you're going again. Uh, so for me, it was always a job. And to road trip with you, it really helped change my whole mindset. Just relaxing experience. It's what we th- you would expect a road trip to be, you know, when you imagine the great road trip across and just this sense of freedom. I mean, you gave me that, uh, that first time that we took off.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's nice to hear.
2: Paul, how did you like the the freewheeling spirit of that first trip? Well, it was definitely a taste of adventure. I think I tend to be a little uh, more planned and a little less spontaneous than the two of you. So you you two both compliment me very nicely with uh, the journey and uh, the adventure and the sidetracks and the detours. And I remember stopping... uh, in various places, just for the sake of making a stop and it being an adventure in terms of going through a, f- a forest together, looking at trees, riding a little uh, gondola. So I, it, it just, it just was a, a great adventure. As a matter of fact, if, uh, if there was a modern day Jack Kerouac book, we could have written it for the three of us. Did you did you take uh, car trips with your family when you were little? I did, but I was little, and if you remember the back of those uh, station wagons with the fake wood paneling, uh, uh, I was in the back. Very often, I was either in the way, way back, there was actually a movie about that, or sitting on the floor uh, of a car crunched up in between too many people in the car with a lot of stuff, and we had a long trip to North, we used to drive from New Jersey to North Carolina. And it was pretty much a straight shot. We, we'd stop for lunch at the Chesapeake Bay Bridge, but it was pretty much, you know, an all-day adventure. And uh, the only adventure that happened was where we were eating lunch, and we usually stopped at the same place. So it was really pretty boring until we actually got to the destination. And as a as a kid, you know, we weren't allowed to, you know, do anything much other than just ride and read a book in the car and try to pass the time, so to speak. I thought the stops were. Or what mattered most, and, uh, and that,
0: that all three of us could could just uh, call out something that we that looked interesting. Uh, w- that was that was wonderful to me because when I was growing up, I didn't have a voice on on where we stopped. Sometimes we were invited. The family, my brother Rusty, and my mom uh, Eileen and uh this is before my sister was born and we'd be driving and dad said you know if you if you want to stop for lunch just just uh, let me know where a good spot would be and we'd say there's one not too late and uh i think that i think he used uh our speed and our slow reaction time against us to so that we could stop where he wanted to so it that was another kind of freedom that i enjoyed on that trip was uh uh, we were it was wide open territory,
1: yeah that surprises me that that's your experience with road trips I mean kind of similar uh to our own
0: yeah it was a it was a recoil reaction, you know i uh, I was stifled for so long, and i uh, my reaction to the freedom was to be my natural self, which is very curious and um adventurous and at least for that trip agendaless the rest of my life was pretty uh, regimented you know our 10 weeks of classes and the studying every night and every weekend um, and then full-time work it was uh, it was a great way to just uh, do whatever felt natural
1: uh, wanting to fast forward to our next one. I mean, we again invited everybody, yes, right? they got
0: they got fabulous reports of of our uh, you know crazy maybe maybe it was too crazy the stories that we told
1: right. So this anticipation that you had that, okay, we'd come back with some great stories and then everybody would want to come. Yeah. It backfired <laughs>
0: and they might
1: have
0: they might have wondered what our real relationship was like. You know, we, they, they wouldn't be the first to think that we were, I don't know, had some hidden agenda or relationships or something. That they would be intruding, you know.
1: Was that the time we went to Mount Shasta?
0: That was the second one, right? Yeah. That's when your battery died. In that, that time we took your van, right? Was that this, That was the second trip. The third trip was your sedan. So we've been on three of those.
1: And yeah, the second trip was when the in the eighty four Westphalia.
0: I showed you how to push start a Volkswagen.
1: Which came in handy, uh, probably a couple years later.
2: Yeah, those headlights don't turn themselves off back then. Yeah, Shasta was a good time. I got a little cold at night though. Sleeping on the mountain.
1: Was that Shasta, the town of Shasta? It was. I spilled was. cough syrup in my purse. Do you remember oh, that? Oh,
0: I sure do. Well, you had a you had some electronics in there, I think. That was bad.
1: I did. I actually had bought a video camera, just something probably off Craigslist. And it, remember, we had to record a session with a client. I, that's why I had it. So thankfully, I had already recorded the session.
0: Weren't we in a bakery when you, when you discovered I that I think I was eating mess? a blueberry muffin yeah.
1: or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: but uh, with all the mishaps, uh, nothing seemed to slow us down too much.
1: No, we have some great shots from Shasta. I did create Instagram for our podcast, and so maybe I'll put up a couple of pictures from Shasta on oh, there.
0: That'd be good. Is that the trip where we went to San Simeon? That's the Hearst Castle. Yeah, and Morro Beach, where we accidentally overserved <laughs> ourselves with <laughs> vodka.
2: I, I think that was Morro Bay. Oh, yeah, Beach. yeah, yeah, Morro Bay. Yeah, this this wasn't en- Enum Claw or you know Gig Harbor or you know. And we went to. Uh, John Steinbeck stop stomping grounds right. I, have I don't, no I don't memory remember of any of
1: this. I don't remember John Steinbeck's. Oh, was that uh, what town is that?
0: Where the aquarium
2: is.
1: Yes, where the aquarium is. Monterey.
2: Monterey. But I thought there was a stop in some really obscure town that was uh, somewhere as well. Do you remember it? It was just had like a west. It wasn't a western downtown, but it was really like an old downtown. And the guy told us about the fight they'd had with the neighbor in the alleyway, sort of speak of all the junk. It had a really unique name. Huh. If I was in the Twilight Zone, I'd say Willoughby, but it's not <laughs> Willoughby.
1: We're talking like 2011, or what year is this?
0: You know, I've got my journal back here. I could whip it out. Uh, <laughs> let me step away from the mic here for a second. All right. Are we talking about that that store with the wooden floor that sort of had stuffed bears? Well, here's Mount Shasta Pastry. There we go. Uh, Let's see what the date is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. March 25th, uh, which was a Thursday. (laughs) I don't have the... It says here that we um, dropped in on the locals at the TNA Tavern and had a bottle of beer. No taps, Wilbur gave us good service. Paul informs me his name is actually Gino. I guess Sandy steered me wrong again. Parked by a stream and played with the turgid throbbing, bursting with wholesome goodness. cattail seed pods, releasing billowing wafts of thick white love yes thank you for
1: capturing me in my blissful joy paul in that image i still talk to people about that picture of me with cattails
2: oh yeah that is one of my few pictures where i've captured a, a person most of my pictures are actually landscape photography where people aren't in them they're just mountains that don't move this is
0: 2010 so this is the third trip
1: the final yeah. major one. We've taken smaller. Oh, we oh yeah. And saw Suzanne oh, and yeah. Anacortes. We've yes. gone to Gig Harbor, your hometown. Mm-hmm. Enum Club, my hometown. We have not gone to Paul's hometown. It's
2: on the list. It's 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 a twenty eight hundred mile drive. So it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of road trip round trip. It's uh, you know six thousand miles with some detours.
1: So tell it's us what way. we would expect to find in Ramsey, New Jersey.
2: There is a golf club, Ramsey Golf and Country Club. My parents have been members for 54 years. It's a land country club. There's a big high school, which is exactly half a block from my house. There are several large parks, uh, and there are some wooded trails. Uh, There's a small downtown with some great bagels and some good pizza. And then there's, you know a highway that runs through it on the way to Paramus, the Indian word for shopping. So, you know, it's a small New Jersey town, suburban, uh, You know, 95% white. The rest is a small group of other minorities, but uh, generally very much white. White bread, New Jersey. Uh, great place to grow up, you know, middle to upper class, and uh, just, a, just a fun place of good people. Jersey people, though, you know, so they all have a little bit of an attitude, so... Well, I'm. Uh,
0: how about next spring?
2: Next spring sounds good to me. You know, uh, we just have to decide whether or not we're driving or we're going to have to fly and then rent. I think it's got to be flying and renting a car, right? Okay. We're, right. we're older now. Yeah.
0: We have responsibilities, you know, children, yeah. grandchildren, great grandchildren.
2: So we, so we could, we could fly, we could fly in, of course, to Newark, which is the armpit of New Jersey, of course. Indian word for armpit. It is an armpit. I mean, it's claim to fame is... It's, you know, the only place worse than Newark, uh, you know, uh, is Camden, maybe. You go from there. If you watch The Sopranos, you can see the uh, kind of the highway that you'd take from Newark Airport toward my house, the Pulaski Skyway, and and you'd also uh, see the garbage dumps along the way with the seagulls. Okay. The beginning
0: of The Sopranos.
2: Yeah. Yeah. woke up this morning, got myself a gun. Yeah, that type of uh... Did you play hockey growing up, Paul? I did play hockey growing up. I played hockey. What do and... you think about the new Seattle uh, NHL team name? McCracken. Good? I love it. Yeah, I love the name. You know, I don't know how there could be controversy, but I'm just happy. It, I can't believe how long it took us to get a real NHL team. And Based on the
0: S from the Seattle Totems, uh... Logo.
1: I watched this uh, YouTube video that was a 12 minute conversation about uh, from a couple guys from Adidas about how they came up with the logo. And I mean, it's a really neat connection to the Pacific Northwest. One of the guys, uh, his name's Maddie Merrill, I went yeah. to high school with and he dated my friend's older sister. He actually was the mascot, the tree at Stanford, I believe. Uh, just a really interesting guy, so it was really fun to watch his uh, the interview with him and just. Do you guys both watch hockey? currently? I
2: occasionally watch hockey. Uh, it's not on. Not very if I can much. help it. You know, it's on select times un- unless you subscribe to the NHL Network. Just to be clear, I'm a New York Ranger fan. Mm. Thanks then, for clearing th- that up. Yeah, so uh, so I have to switch over my allegiance to the Kraken eventually, but I have to see how they play. Well, lacrosse was on the other day, and I was watching that, and I
0: thought, what's worse, this or hockey? And I thought, oh yeah, soccer.
1: <laughs> I've got my Kraken jersey on, on the way right now.
0: I appreciate your love of hockey, Jacqueline. I don't understand it, but I love it.
1: I don't love it, actually. I, um, I have one other sweatshirt, and so this will be number two.
0: Oh so it's a sweatshirt it's not a it, it's not an oversized nylon jersey.
1: Oh god no. I those I don't understand those. I mean I understand them on the players.
0: If anything would hold
2: smell in better than that I don't know what it would be. You're right. They have to be washed often having played <laughs> hockey. It's a you know a smelly hockey bag. If you ever go into a hockey locker room you know immediately it's a hockey locker room. It's got a stale a stale wet moldy smell to it.
1: So tell us more about playing, Paul. I
2: started ice skating when I was probably uh, under five years old. So my dad played uh, hockey as a kid growing up. And because he played hockey, uh, he uh, immediately put me on skates and uh, gave me a Canadian jersey, a Montreal Canadian jersey first, because he played on what was the South Orange Canadians, which you kind of think of as a local, uh, a local, a local club team back in the day. Um, and so uh, he started me skating, and from then on, you know, he took me to New York Ranger games. And in order to play hockey, you got to get up really early in the morning, and uh, you got to be dedicated. And I was I was somewhat dedicated, but not to the point where I played, uh, you know, extreme travel leagues or anything like that. I basically just got up early in the morning, went to practice, and then played on the weekends. And uh, you know, I'm a solid B player, um, and I played hockey uh, for a while. I. I stopped playing when I switched back to public school. Public school, today there's a Ramsey hockey team, but back in my day there was not a Ramsey hockey team, so I was playing as part of a larger county team. And I eventually played uh, on a club team at Wittenberg in college and on a co-ed team at Miami in graduate school, so I played with uh, you know girls and boys, essentially, and that was a lot of fun. And uh, I played all the way up until I had kids uh, on the Boeing uh, league. Uh, which, you know, uh, on the A-League, it's really good players. On the B-Leagues, it's more huff and puff. And I went back and forth between the two. What position did you play, Paul? I generally I generally play right-wing or defense. And uh, on an A-team, I'm playing defense because there's stronger players. Uh, I've tried playing goalie once or twice, and it's really tough to, to wear all that gear and, and move quickly. So... I'm a solid on a B team. I can I can score I can score one goal a game on an A team. I score one goal a season. It's a fun sport though. It's great to have fun, and of course, uh, occasionally there's some checking and fighting if there's not supposed to be. And uh, let's just say, growing up in New Jersey, you know how to check, you know how to fight, you know how to pull someone down. Yeah, that's the Paul I want to see. What do they What do they call it?
0: The enforcer or the brute? Or... Yeah, the enforcer. Okay. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and, you know, um, one thing, you you know, that p- people don't know is uh, most people, even if you know how to fight, if you're on a hockey skate, you really got to know because if you throw a punch and you're not holding on to something, you could essentially fall right over.
0: Oh, grab their jersey and punch. Okay? Yes,
2: yeah. Well, the other thing is you grab their jersey in the back and you pull up over the head and you beat the crap out of them. That's why a lot of hockey players who fight a lot will tie their jersey down. Oh. So you can't do that. And, of course, you know, if you're punching someone with your gloves on, there's a lot of padding there, so you really got to drop the gloves. Yeah. So the first thing you do is size someone up, and then when you throw down your gloves, you know you're going to fight. And then what you want to do, essentially, is reach across, and you can grab the opposite shoulder and, and hold on for that as you're throwing the punches. That way you keep your balance.
0: <laughs> I see, there's no way
2: you could know that unless you were really an enforcer. Exactly. Well, you know, occasionally you have to do it, and, you know, uh, the other trick, you know, if someone gets by you, you know, and you really have to pull them down, you take your stick and you put it in between the hole and their skates and the blades, and you pull them right down. And that's a surefire way to get a penalty. Oh, God. But there's no way they're going to get by you if you do that, you know? There was a guy from New Jersey in my uh, fraternity, and
0: that's a whole different story of, of me being in a fraternity. It's kind of like a goldfish being in a um, sword swallowing act. And. He, I forget his name, but he was a tough guy. And we were just fooling around in somebody's room one time, just kind of wrestling, just kind of sizing each other up, as you say, you know, testing each other's uh, muscle mass. And he um, kicks me in the nuts. I I said, (laughs) what's that about? He said, that's how I do it and later I found out that that's how everybody does it in New Jersey
2: (laughs) I wouldn't say that's how everyone does it in New Jersey but in life or death situations though, man, in Jersey I wouldn't doubt it
1: (laughs) I will just add this, out of my cross country road trip of all the states I, and I was a great driver by the time I got over to New Jersey from Washington I was scared out of my mind driving in uh, New Jersey traffic.
2: Yeah, it's uh, it, it to go from Washington back to New Jersey for me stresses me out. I used to be able to do it, but literally, I hear more horns in New Jersey when I go back home in one week than I hear in six months in Washington State. And when I'm back in New Jersey, I'm flipping people the bird, I'm giving fingers, I'm, I'm going to go fuck themselves. And <laughs> I, I, you know, I've never been shot at or whatever, but I will tell you, I'm always cognizant of it. Growing up. You know, I've stuck my finger out the window more than a few times at people. Well, that's the culture, right? Uh, you
0: can't judge it. It's not good or bad. When you say fuck you in New Jersey, you just mean hi. And in Seattle, when we say hi, we mean fuck you.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> it's true. Okay, next spring, do you think you, you can get a babysitter?
1: Yeah, I can get a babysitter. Is May good in, in New Jersey? May's
2: good in New Jersey.
0: Maybe uh, it'll be safe to fly on a plane
2: by then. Yeah, that's a good point. We, we have to factor in uh, uh, my, my Corona different than Song. Yes, I'm excited. I am too. Okay, deal. Well, if we could find
0: a uh, seminar to go to out there we
2: could write it this up. isn't uh as close by as i would like for my hometown but there is this yung on the hudson mm. which is probably about an hour and a half away where they uh do uh, essentially a big yung seminar overlooking the hudson river and in upstate town new york uh, and it's something i've always wanted to do um well all right but it's a little pricey sometimes so we'll I'll have to save up my, my shekels. I'll have to look. It's generally in the summertime more. But, you know, we could potentially work out something where uh, we do a little road trip of a little psychology thing just to to get the tax break. And then, and then of course, hit the Jersey Shore and my hometown and a few other attractions in the area. Uh, it's G- July 24th and 25th of this year. <laughs> okay.
0: Whoa. It's a mini weekend with James Hollis. Because what's the date today? The twenty
2: eighth. Wonder how it was. So James Hollis just came out with a new book. His book's called "Living Between Worlds," which I haven't started yet. But don't buy the audiobook. Whoever he got narrating is terrible. I've so much prefer him doing.
0: Oh no, he didn't narrate it himself.
2: And I asked him to too. It really bums me out. I sent him a little note and fucker, no response. But. I'm very saddened by it. So I had to buy the hardcover book instead because I returned the Audible book. It was so lame. The guy was reading it very, it wasn't terrible, but it was very monotone and very, you know, with the long pauses and just wasn't.
1: What's the book about?
2: It's about transitions, about being in between states. And what's funny is he wrote it before this whole coronavirus took over. So in some ways, it's totally weird that he wrote this book.
1: Hey, Reed, are you interested in reading it?
2: Uh Yeah, of course.
1: I wonder if we could do a little uh, book club, the three I of us. I would love
0: that. Absolutely. Sure. sure. Okay, so uh, according to this, tw- in 2021, uh, the subject of uh, Jung and the Hudson will be the concept of the archetype. How about that? Now, spring... Now, that's summer. Spring of 2021 is Jung in
2: Ireland. Yeah, that's something else I want to do. But again, this corona thing is just throwing a wrench in that i so want to do young in ireland too i didn't bring that up because i'd love to go see the guinness factory too that's my by april might be i don't know i'm I'm kind of in a covid funk personally oh boohoo that
1: would be a great song the covid funk
0: uh young in uh on the hudson uh, which is summer of 2021 is called the concept of the archetype. It's right. probably
2: around the same dates in July.
1: Okay.
0: Did we, did we sound enough like ourselves? I think, we
1: did. I think we sounded a lot like ourselves.
0: Well, maybe you should practice mixing and editing and, and see what you come up with.
1: Hey again, I'll see you out. Did you enjoy yourself? I sure do hope so. On behalf of Reed, Jacqueline and Paul, I want to thank you for your time. I've heard there's going to be some pretty awesome folks stopping by. For more information, check out Living Room Therapy on Facebook or Instagram. And we hope to see you soon.